You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning. There we go. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. It's a joy to be with you. It's always a special uh, privilege and honor to be able to bring God's Word uh, to you, my home church. Uh, It's good to have that opportunity. Most of the time when I'm traveling and preaching, I'm uh, asked to do my seminar, Clouds Without Water. And so it's always a nice uh, treat for me to be able to just exposit God's Word. And so that's what we'll be doing this morning. Now, the last time I preached here was back in January, January the 8th, as I recall. And uh, for those of you who have heard my last couple of sermons, uh, I am working through the book of James. And so we will pick up right where I left off nine months ago, eight months ago. And uh, we will get all the way through from verses 5 to verse 8 today of chapter 1. Uh, so at this rate, you know, preaching two or three times a year, working through the book of James, I'm quite sure I will see my glorification before we make it through the book of James, but uh, we'll see how far we get. Okay, well, let's go to the word to the Lord in word of prayer. We'll begin. Our Father, we do thank you for this opportunity and to gather to gather around as as your sheep that you have graciously called to yourself. And Lord, as we go to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do what he does in our lives, that he would illumine your word to our hearts and to our minds, and that we would be sanctified in the truth of your word. And in so doing, we would glorify you through our lives of obedience. And as we look at what your word has to say to us this morning about wisdom, we pray that indeed you would impart that to us and glorify yourself in so doing. These things we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I do invite you to turn, if you're not already there, to the book of James, chapter 1. Now, I will read, since it's been so long uh, since I preached, we'll read the passage that I preached last time, and I'll give you just a brief summary, just so we can kind of get our uh, thoughts flowing in the right direction here. But our main text will be verses 5 through 8. But let's begin in verse 2. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. May God bless the reading of his word. So, what we are looking at in this passage of scripture is trials. Now, back in January, we talked about 
how uh, trials are inevitable. Our life is marked by trials. It is not a matter of if trials will come, but when trials will come. Trials are a result of the fallen state of man and all of creation. So trials are inevitable. We will not escape them. Job chapter 5 verse 7 says man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Just as sparks fly up from a campfire, as sure as that happens, we will have trials. So trials are inevitable. Trials do not necessarily mean that God is displeased with us. Some people have that erroneous view that if you're going through a trial, that means you've done something wrong or God is somehow displeased with you, but that is not the case. In fact, very often, the opposite of that is true. Oftentimes, we go through trials not because of a lack of faith, but because of our faith. John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus says, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. An argument from the greater Christ to the lesser us. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not a matter of if, it is a matter of when, and oftentimes they come because of our faith. The nature of trials. Now, if you have the King James Version, it says, uh, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter diverse temptations. Now, that's an unfortunate rendering because a trial is not a temptation. A trial is not a subjective temptation. It is an objective difficulty. Now, how we handle trials could lead to temptation, but trials in and of themselves are not temptations. They are just that. They are trials. And James says to count it all joy. Notice that James does not say enjoy them. We are not to count them. We are not to enjoy trials. We, we are to count trials as joy. Trials by their nature are not enjoyable. So we're not supposed to enjoy a trial. If you're going through a trial and it's difficult, well, that's okay. We're not meant to enjoy them. We are meant to endure through them and live lives of obedience that glorify Christ in the midst of our trials. Trials by their nature are not enjoyable. So that's not what he's saying. He's saying to count it all joy. In other words, when you persevere through a trial and you live your life in obedience to the Word of God through a trial, count it as joy. Bank on it. There will be joy on the other end of that trial. You can count on it. Purpose of trials. Trials serve to curb our pride and to engender humility. None of us is without pride. The Apostle Paul himself had pride and God gave him a thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, messenger of Satan, to buffet him, to humble him even further than what he already was, to keep him from exalting himself, said Paul. So trials serve to curb our pride and to engender and create in us Humility. Trials conform us into the image of Christ. Romans 8:28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Trials serve to conform us into the image of our master. 
They conform us into the image of Christ. They test our faith. Trials serve to test our faith. And as I said eight months ago, true spiritual growth is a growth downward. It is a growth downward. A downward estimation of ourselves leads to a higher estimation of Christ. It is only when we decrease in our estimation of ourselves that we can increase in our estimation and understanding of the Lord Jesus and the result of trials. James says that trials serve to perfect us so that we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The sense here is one of completeness. Completeness. The ultimate fulfillment of our completion in Christ will not be realized until our glorification. But that is our goal. Our goal is completeness in the Lord Jesus Christ, being completely conformed into His image. Again, it will not be fully attained until we die and are glorified and in the presence of the Lord, but that is our goal. Trials serve to conform us into the image of the Lord Christ, and we should be lacking in nothing. Okay, so that just by way of review to get our minds going in the right direction. Now let's pick up for our primary text this morning, verse 5. James says, But any if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, maybe we should start by defining wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom are related, but they're not synonymous. Okay? Knowledge and wisdom are related, but they're not synonymous. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. You can have knowledge and not have wisdom. But you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. Okay? Wisdom is how we appropriate and how we use the knowledge that we have. Okay? You can have knowledge without wisdom, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. To give you a couple examples, you can know how to use a weapon. That is knowledge but knowing when to use the weapon or when to keep that weapon holstered, that's wisdom. You can have social media account and you can put all kinds of information up on that social media account. That's knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to put up there and knowing what not to put up there. It's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. And unfortunately, Many professing believers don't seem to have the wisdom to handle social media. Be safer with a weapon. <laughs> so again, here the goal—the goal of wisdom, the goal of trials—is completion. We will not meet that goal here. Now, notice James has two lacks. Did you catch that in verse four? He says, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But then in verse 5, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom. Well, I thought we were not supposed to be lacking in anything, but then the very next sentence he says, well, if any of you lacks wisdom. Again, that is our goal. Completion in Christ is our goal, but it will not be fully realized this side of heaven. So when we lack wisdom, we are to ask of God. We are to ask of God. Now, many take this verse, verse 5, as a standalone verse. 
that would apply to anything in life. Well, if you lack wisdom in where to go to college, let him ask of God. If you lack wisdom in what job to take, let him ask of God. If you lack wisdom in who to marry, let him ask of God. Those are not illegitimate prayers to ask for wisdom in decisions like that that we have to make. But that's not what is primarily in view here. Okay, that's not the primary context here. The primary context here in James, in fact, the only context here in James, is that of trials. So it's not wrong to ask for wisdom in other areas of life, but that's not what James is talking about here. So let's keep our focus clear that he is talking about trials. We need God's wisdom at all times, but especially so in trials. There's nothing like a real trial, a physical trial, a spiritual trial, an emotional trial that, that sharpens our focus and our awareness of just how dependent upon God we really are. It is in times of trial that we are acutely aware of how dependent we are upon God. Now, when James says if, that does not indicate that there we may go our entire lives and never lack wisdom. If you lack wisdom. He's not saying that, that it's possible that you'll never lack wisdom because remember, this is connected to what? Trials, and trials are inevitable. So what James is saying here if you are in a trial, let him ask of God. Ask God for wisdom. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. But if you are in a trial, ask God for wisdom. Let him ask of God. Asking in and of itself denotes humility, does it not? It is a posture of humility on the part of the created in the presence of his creator. It is a posture of humility. It is not an option. James says, let him ask of God. This is in the imperative. In other words, this is not an option. It is a command. The man or the woman who does not ask God for wisdom in the midst of a trial is a very arrogant man, a very arrogant woman. This is not an option for us, dear ones. When we are in trials, we are commanded by God to ask for wisdom. Not asking for wisdom is a sure sign that pride has taken deep root in our lives. Literally in the Greek, when James says, let him ask of God, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously. Literally in the Greek, do you know how this reads? It literally says, let him ask the giving God. And that's beautiful. There's a lot of places in the Greek that it's just, if you, if you could tease out the Greek, it's so much more beautiful than what we have in English. Let him ask the giving God. God is by his character and his nature giving. That is who he is. Let him ask the giving God. He is the ultimate giver. He gives us life. He gives us what we sometimes call common graces. He gives, he gives gifts, uh, gives benefits to the saved and the unsaved alike. Lost people and Christians alike can enjoy a good meal, can enjoy a nice steak, can uh, enjoy times with friends and family members, can have fun. These are common graces that God gives to all people. But to God's special people, to His, to His chosen, to His elect, to His sheep, He has also given us His Son. He, given, he gave us His Son. Jesus said that I that the Son of Man came 
to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. God is a giving God. He gives us life. He gives us salvation through the merits of his son, Jesus Christ. And God gives us wisdom. The passage that Jim read for us, Proverbs chapter 2, specifically in verse 6, says, For the Lord gives wisdom. The book of Proverbs has a great deal to say about wisdom. So God is the giving God, and He gives to all generously and without reproach. Generously and without reproach. This reminds us of the statement in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. God gives to all generously. And then in verse 11, just a few verses later, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He grounds God's response to our asking in God's character and His nature. Verse 11, Jesus says, For if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will the Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? He grounds God's response to our prayers in His character and His nature. He is the giving God and He gives to all generously. Now, to all, to all. This is not all people everywhere at all times. This is a promise specifically for believers. Okay? Specifically for believers, but it includes all believers. If you are in Christ, if you are in union with the Lord Jesus through repentance from sin, placing your trust in His finished work on the cross, you are qualified to receive the wisdom of God. Why? Because God has qualified you. Every person in union with Christ and walking in obedience to Him can expect, can expect to receive wisdom from God. God is not a respecter of persons. You do not have to have a ministry to receive wisdom from God. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a seminary degree. All you need is to be in union with the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in obedience to His commands. He gives to all generously. He is not a respecter of person. Now this word generously is interesting because it denotes not only generosity, but it also denotes singularity. Now, God is generous in the general sense that we would think of that word, generous. In, in other words, God's wisdom will never be exhausted. He gives to all generously. He's not a miser. He will give wisdom in abundance because the well from which He draws, if you will, is an inexhaustible well. God could give every believer on the planet bountiful wisdom all at once, and the well from which he draws would not have decreased one molecule. It is an inexhaustible well. He gives to all generously, but he also gives with singularity. In other words, his motives for giving are singular. God has no ulterior motives for giving. He is not influenced by anyone. He does not have to pay anyone off. He is singular in his intent in giving. He is singular in his motives, blameless in his motives, and he gives wisdom because it is his sovereign decree to do so. 
He has sovereignly decreed it that he gives wisdom, and so he does so. He is not influenced by any outside force. And that is why it is so important. As I said um, back in January, if you've never studied the attributes of God, if you've never done a study on the attributes of God, please do yourself a favor and do a study on the attributes of God. Know who He is and know that all of His attributes exegete His other attributes. And when we understand who He is, we can trust Him. He is not influenced by anyone. He equips us for our benefit, yes, when God gives us wisdom, it is for our benefit, but it is not ultimately for us. When God gives us wisdom, it benefits us, but ultimately, He does so for Himself. He does so for Himself. Because it is only when we have wisdom, especially in trials, that we can live lives of obedience to God. And it is only when we live our lives in obedience to Him that we will glorify Him. So ultimately... Though we are benefited by God's wisdom, we are not the sole purpose of His wisdom. Ultimately, it is for Himself. James says He will give to all generously and without reproach. Well, what does that mean, without reproach? In other words, when God gives wisdom, He does so without finding fault in us. He does so without reproach. There will be no chastising. There will be no sentiment to ever come from the Lord when we go to Him asking for wisdom in which He says, why are you asking me for wisdom? Anthropomorphically, of course. Why are you doing this? Do you not know what to do? Why? You should know this stuff. That, that will never be His response to us. He gives to all generously and without reproach, not finding fault. He gives it because it is His good pleasure to do so. He is the giving God. And notice James says, it will be given to him. The one who asks for wisdom will be granted that response, a positive response from, from the Lord. It will be given to him. This reflects God's statement in Psalm chapter 81, verse 10. God says, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. It's a beautiful picture. And I think the picture there is, is one of baby birds who wait for their mom. And I think in a few species, their, their dad will come with food. And the little baby birds are just up with their, with their mouths open wide, waiting for their parent to give them nourishment. This is the picture here. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. As helpless as those little baby birds are upon their parent, we are just that helpless, just as that dependent upon our gracious Lord. And when we open our mouths wide to Him, when we seek His wisdom, He will give it. He will fill our mouths with His wisdom. Matthew Henry, commentator, said this, referring to this picture and how helpless the baby birds are, how helpless we are. Matthew Henry says, quote, We cannot look for too little from the creature, nor too much from the Creator. In other words, our estimation of ourselves cannot be too low, and our estimation of God cannot be too high. Now, let me tell you what this is not. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give generously to all without reproach. It will be given to him. What this is not, this is not a passive command. This, is not, this does not call for a passive response on our part. This is not automatic, okay? And a lot of people think that, though, that if you just pray to God and ask him for wisdom, he'll automatically give it to you. We don't, we don't go to heavensicloud.com and create an account, sign in with our password, and get automatic updates and software installments for our brains. It's not a passive thing. It's not, it's not, God's not going to download something to you while you sleep. Lord, give me wisdom as you pray that as you go to sleep and you'll wake up and you'll be wise. This is not a passive endeavor. Okay, it's not automatic. We have a role to play in this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. We are to desire the pure milk of God's word. Solomon, Proverbs chapter 2, 3 through 5 that Jim read. We are to desire discernment. We are to cry out for discernment. This is an active, this is an active role that we play. Our salvation is all of God. We use the term sometimes monergistic, mono, one. Erg in the Greek is work. In other words, our salvation is all of God's work. Our sanctification, however, is synergistic, sin, with, erg, work. In other words, we work with God in our sanctification, in growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Dear friends, if you are not regularly reading and studying God's Word, if you're not studying to show yourself approved unto God, if you're not in this book, then please don't bother asking God to give you wisdom. Because you know what? He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. You can't just pray for wisdom and expect God to download it to you. We have a role to play in our sanctification. We're to be spending time in the Word of God. And when we are doing that, when we are reading and studying God's Word and obeying what we read, when we're doing that, then God gives us wisdom. But it's not a passive endeavor. It's active. We have a role to play in our sanctification. So if you're not in this book, if this is not a regular part of your life, if obeying this book is not a regular part of your life, don't bother asking God for wisdom. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. He gave us a mind for a reason. We are to use it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, In this I pray that your love would abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. We have a role to play. Also, as part of getting God's wisdom, we are to seek godly counsel. Proverbs chapter 11, there's a lot in Proverbs about this, but Proverbs chapter 11 says this, verse 15 says, Solomon says, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. If, you're, if you find yourself in a trial, or when you find yourself in a trial, first you've got to be reading and studying God's Word. That's first and foremost. Pray for wisdom. 
Ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. But one of the means that God often uses to give us wisdom is the counsel of other people. So if you find yourself in a trial and you're already ringing and studying God, God's word, but you're still not real sure how to do it, go to some godly people that you know. Men, go to some godly men that you know. Ask them for their counsel. Ladies, if you have a godly husband, go to him first. If you don't, go to some godly ladies that you know or go to, your, to one of your elders. Ask them for their counsel. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. It's very wise to do that. I do that. And I've been through a, a, some of this even here recently. It's wise to ask other godly people their counsel. Seek godly counsel. And also notice, James says, it will be given to him. Dear friends, this is a done deal. It is guaranteed. Guaranteed. Not it might be given to him. It will be given to him. Jesus says, sanctify them, referring to his disciples in the truth. Thy word is truth. When we pray for wisdom and we are in God's word as a regular part of our lives and we pray for wisdom, we seek godly counsel, it will be given to us. It's not conditional. You don't have to wonder if God's going to give it to you. He will. It's his promise. But, James says, he must ask in faith without doubting. Now, this is where we might get a little bit nervous. Ask in faith without doubting. So let's walk through this a little bit. How we ask is just as important that we ask. How we ask God for wisdom is just as important that we ask God for wisdom. We are to ask in faith. How do we do this? Well, let's go to the text. John chapter 14. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I think most of us in here understand that that is not a blank check, like some people take that. That is not God saying, you can ask me for Rolls Royce or a 10,000 square foot home or something like that. I think everybody in here would understand that. Those are unreasonable requests, right? That's ridiculous. That, that betrays a, an unregenerate heart to pray for such things. But even of the more normal things, for example, you've gotten a bad report from the doctor. Maybe you've gotten cancer. Lord, take this cancer away. Is it wrong to pray that? No, it's not wrong. But know this it might not be God's will for that cancer to be taken away or for the arthritis or for the multiple sclerosis. It may not be His will. When we pray for things that are within God's will, He does do them 100% of the time. 100% of the time. But that is the key. Praying in the name of Jesus is not some magical incantation, abracadabra kind of thing. As long as we pray in the name of Jesus, God will do whatever we ask Him. That's not what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John 5, verse 14. John says, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask for anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we ask of Him. 
the name of God is synonymous oftentimes with the will of God. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we pray for things in the name of Christ, what we're saying is, Lord, we are praying for your will to be done. Whatever your will is, Lord, may that be done. Whether the cancer is taken away or whether the cancer stays. If the cancer stays, if the trial stays, know that God's grace will be sufficient through the trial. So we are, to, we are to pray for things in the will of God. Now, notice James says, without any doubting. Now, what does that mean, without any doubting? The word here, doubting, means to, means to differentiate. It basically means to dispute with yourself. To dispute with yourself. This does not refer to temporary bouts of doubt. Okay, that's not what it's referring to. It's not referring to a temporary time of wavering in your faith. Because, dear friends, let's be honest, all of us have those times, don't we? And you know what one of the things I love about this book? Is that this book never hesitates to record the failures and the struggles of its own main characters. Asaph doubted, didn't he? Psalm chapter 73, to the point of stumbling. John the Baptist doubted, right? He found himself in prison. He baptized Jesus. But then later he found himself in prison about to be executed, and he sent word from, or sent a question from his disciples to Christ with this question. Are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for someone else? Even John the Baptist, and Jesus said, no man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist, and that pretty much includes all of us. So even John the Baptist had a time of doubt. But it was not a permanent time. It was a moment of doubt and God preserved him through it. Abraham doubted. Now there's something interesting. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 verse 20 he says this, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He said Abraham did not waver. But I seem to remember an occasion in which Abraham did waver. Did he not? In Genesis chapter 17 when God gave him the promise said you will be the father of many nations. And Abraham, what did he respond? How did he respond? He said, will a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? I'm a hundred years old. What do you mean I'm going to be the father of many nations? So Abraham did doubt, right? But it was temporary. It was momentary. It wasn't, it wasn't his settled disposition. He had a time of doubt, but it didn't last. It wasn't his settled disposition. This refers, when James says, without doubting, this refers to an intrinsic, settled, habitual state of division. God responds to us, though we may stumble, though our faith may waver in trials, but He responds to the one who is ultimately settled in who God is. That we know who God is, we trust Him, we trust His goodness, we trust that He is a giver, we trust that He is sovereign, so even though we may have times of wavering, times of doubt, they're temporary, but over the course of our lives, we are settled in our disposition of who God is. And so that doubting is not a temporary stumble. The doubting that James is referring to is a long, habitual pattern of our lives being characterized by doubt. That is the man who will not receive anything from God. It is not that we have confidence in ourselves, it is not even that we have confidence in deserving of God's wisdom because we don't. 
The confidence is in God, in who he is, his character, his nature. And then James says this, he says, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now these last couple of verses, they expand upon the point already made by James of doubting. This is a settled disposition of doubting that James is talking about. And he says, the one who is that, the one who does not know who God is, doubts God's character, doubts his nature as a habitual pattern of his life, that man, the one who doubts like that, is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. The picture here, the surf of the sea, is not, is not the picture of a wave growing in height and crashing onto the seashore. That's not the picture. The picture here is out in the deep sea with the waves and the swells going up and down like this. It's in a constant state of flux. And even as the swells come up, even the individual swells, swells they have ripples. And even the swells, their texture is constantly changing. So that's the picture, a constant state of flux. A man who does not really know what he believes and why he believes it. Constantly rising, constantly falling, changing texture, changing shape from one moment to the next. That's the kind of doubt that James is talking about. And that man will not receive anything from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, the writer of Hebrews says, This hope we have as an anchor for the soul. The man here described in James, the one who doubts and is tossed to and fro, carried about by the sea, is a man who has no anchor. Tossed to and fro, carried about by the sea, by the surf of the sea. He is like a child described in Ephesians chapter 4. It's a direct corollary from what James says here to Ephesians chapter 4 when James says, Do not be like little children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says that children are easily tossed to and fro. Right? They have no life experience on which to fall back on. They simply adopt the belief system of their parents. That's their worldview because they know nothing else. But they're easily tossed to and fro. What captures a child's attention one week may be completely disinteresting to them the next week, easily tossed to and fro. And that's the picture that James here is drawing of a man who doubts, easily tossed to and fro. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. The man who is settled, not in faith, but settled in doubt, settled in his doubting of God's character, his doubting of God's nature, will receive nothing from God. Now, who is James talking about? Are these Christians that James is talking about? Dear friends, I would submit to you that he is not talking here about Christians. He is talking here about false professors of Christ. What James is describing is not a true Christian. When James says double-minded, double-minded, that's a really interesting term. In Greek, it's dipsukos. And this is the first time in all of ancient Greek literature, whether in the Bible or apart from the Bible, it's the first time this word shows up. Dipsukos. And you know what it means? It literally means double-souled. James created this word. He coined this word. 
course, ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit, right, who coined this word. You only find this word in two places, right here in James chapter 1, and then you find it again a few chapters later, chapter 4, verse 8. James says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you dipsukas, double-souled, double-minded. Some people say this is referring to a backslidden Christian, but I don't believe it is at all because of this term sinners. When he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, this term here, sinners, is only used in the Bible in reference to unbelievers. Only used in reference to unbelievers. It is not that Christians cannot sin. That's not the point. But judicially speaking, if we are in union with Christ, God does not see us as sinners, though we sin. Though we stumble into sin, we do not swim in sin. We do not enjoy it. It's not our, the pattern of our lives. We stumble into it, but judicially, when God looks at us judicially, He does not see our sin, though we still sin. He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so this double-minded man, this, this double-souled man, this man that is divided against himself, is equated to sinners. And sinners in the Bible strictly used in reference to unbelievers. He is talking about lost people. These are people who are trying to serve two gods. This is spiritual schizophrenia, if you will. People trying to serve two gods, and we know what the Bible has to say about that. So, dear friends, as we conclude, know this, that as long as you are reading and studying God's Word, you're living in obedience to the Word of God. And you find yourself in a trial, not if, but when. Ask the Lord for wisdom, and He will give it. He will give it. Why? Because it is His nature to give. God loves to give to us far more than our desire for God to give to us. He loves to give more than we desire Him to give. So as the writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, he says, He who comes to God must believe that God is and that He is a what? A rewarder of those who seek Him. If that is your settled disposition to God, He will grant you wisdom in trials, ultimately for His glory. For His glory. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, our lives are short. We are born, um, and our days are full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. But Father, we take courage in the fact that you do not leave us as orphans. We have your word. We are indwelt by your spirit. And when we go through trials, Lord, it is in those times not only that we are most acutely aware of our dependence upon you, but also it is in those times of trial that you, are, you seem to enjoy so much to grant your wisdom to us so that we may navigate those trials led by the shepherd in such a way that we carry ourselves well and we glorify Christ in the midst of these trials. And we do look forward one day to having that perfect result in our glorification. Father, may we have your wisdom, may we study your word, and we trust you to do what your word says that you will do. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.